Good morning. Welcome to Rethink Church. Uh, I'm going to invite you guys to stand up with us this morning as we worship. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. Oh, I was breathing, but not alive all my failures I tried to hide it was my tomb till I met you you called my name I ran out of that grave out of the darkness to your glorious day oh you called my name i ran out of that grave out of the darkness to your glorious day now your mercy has saved my soul now your freedom is all that i know the only news jesus when i met you you called my name i ran out of that grave out of the darkness to your glorious day oh you called my name i ran out of that grave out of the darkness to your glorious day I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing, now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open, cause when you call my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, to your glorious day, oh you call my name, I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness to your glorious day. You call my name. You call my name. I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness 
to your glorious day Oh, you called my name I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness To your glorious day Amen I'm going to read a Bible verse from Psalms Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want to encourage you guys this morning. um, Don't let this just be another event in your week, another typical thing that you're just doing. Um, Allow God to search you and test you and see if there's anything in you that is not glorifying him or not pleasing to him and allow him to transform you and work in your life this morning as we continue to worship. Wonderful. Wonderful, so wonderful is your unfailing love. Your cross has spoken mercy over me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can fully know how glorious. How beautiful you are Beautiful one I love Beautiful one I adore Beautiful one my soul must sing Powerful, so powerful glory fills the skies your mighty works displayed for all to see the beauty of your majesty awakes my heart to sing how marvelous how wonderful you are Beautiful one I love, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one my soul must sing. Beautiful one, beautiful one I love, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one my so sin You've opened my eyes to your wonders anew You've captured my heart with this love Cause nothing on earth is as beautiful as you You've opened my eyes to your wonders anew 
captured my heart with this love Cause nothing on earth is as beautiful as you Oh beautiful one I love Beautiful one I adore Beautiful one my soul must sing One more time Beautiful one I love Beautiful one I adore Beautiful one my soul must sing Amen I'm laying down my life I'm giving up control I'm never looking back I surrender all I'm living for your glory on the earth This passion in my heart this stirring in my soul to see the nations bow for all the world to know I'm living for your glory on the earth for the sake of the world burn like a fire in me Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. This passion in my heart, this stirring in my soul, to see the nations bow. For all the world to know I'm living for your glory on the earth Amen For the sake of the world Burn like a fire in me Light a flame in my soul For every eye to see for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. For the sake. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me.
For every knee to bow down, for every heart to believe, for every voice to cry out, burn like a fire in me. For every tongue to confess, you alone are the King, you are the hope of the earth, burn like a fire in me. For every knee to bow down, for every heart to believe, for every voice to cry out, burn like a fire in me. For every tongue to confess, you alone are the King, you are the hope of the earth, burn like a fire in me. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Burn like a fire in me. Burn like a fire in me. Amen. Will you pray with me? Abba Father, um, we owe you more than we could ever repay, and um, I pray that you would help us, God, to not live in fear. Uh, when we look around at this world and so many things are changing and scary and uncertain, um, when we pray and we ask that you would burn like a fire in us, God, and put a, a light in our eyes that is so bright that it changes the atmosphere around us that we create that thin space between earth and heaven, wherever we go, God. And so many people living in darkness, God, and sadness and depression and pain and hurt, God. And you allow us to change that for people. You work in us and you transform us and you allow us to represent you here on this earth to, to change and help other people transform, God. And I pray that you would take every fear and doubt away from us and allow us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me make sure this is on right. There we go. Your love, oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Your 
righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice flows like the ocean's tide. And I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. And I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings your love oh lord it reaches to the heavens yeah. your faithfulness stretches to the sky Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, yeah. Your justice flows like the ocean's tide. And I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. And I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings. I will lift my voice. And I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. And I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings. Your love, oh Lord, it reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, yeah. and your justice flows. Like the ocean And I will lift my voice. And I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. And I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings. Amen. Your love.
love, O oh Lord. Your love, O oh Lord, it reaches to the heavens, yeah. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome, Abby, to the stage. Abby, Abby. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Abby. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of our leaders here at Rethink Church. Um, and if you're new and visiting with us, we want to say welcome. Um, you may not know this, but our church is only seven years old. And what's special about that is that means that most of the people sitting in these chairs were the ones that were new here probably within the last five years or so. So we get it. It is hard walking into a new building, um, especially a place uh, where we are singing and worshiping God and talking about um, important topics. So uh, we want to make sure that you feel welcome here. So we have a space just for you after the service. It's called Guest Services. It's out in our One Cup Cafe. We have a gift for you guys. We'd love to answer any questions you have and just make sure that this is a safe place for you to explore faith, meet people, um, and be a part of what we're doing here. So welcome. Um, a few announcements. Easter is coming up. So Rethink Church, we want to be praying. We've got, you've got people in your lives that you are close to, but they may not be close to God. Uh, so we just want to challenge you guys. Be thinking about those folks in your life. Be praying for them and invite them to Easter. That is a Sunday where we uh, can make a big ask, um, and people might come, might show up, and wouldn't it be cool to see God work in, in their lives this year and what that could mean for their lives? So be praying for those folks, be inviting them, um, and let's see what God does. And then lastly, um, this summer, we've got our kids, our teenagers, are going to NTS camp again. Uh, so if you're a parent of a teen, if you are a teen, um, start thinking about signing up. You can sign up at ntscamp.com. It's going to be from June 16th through 20th, and it's going to be $395 per student. Um, if you are not the parent of a teenager, but you want to help send our kids to camp, um, you can provide scholarship money by giving on our website. If you go and you click the Kingdom Builders tab, that's going to be going towards our student ministry to send these kids to camp this summer. So feel free to do that. And then uh, lastly, I just want to thank you guys who call Rethink Church your home and you do believe in the mission and you give to that financially. Um, we do that here two ways. There's our black box attached to the wall by the door where you can give in person or you can give online at rethinkchurch.cc. Um, it's great to see you all this morning. Lean in as Mark comes up and shares our message. My name is Mark, I'm the pastor of our church, and that last song we sang, man, it just has, like, third day has a special place in my heart, and I'll just share a little bit about it. When I was in high school, I was East Center running sound, so I got asked by a lot of churches, like, hitting locally, hey, can you come run sound for us? And I was not a Christian at the time, like, very cynical towards, especially Christian music. If you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you understand why. And third day was one of those places, a United Methodist Church in Plymouth, Indiana, where I grew up. 
said, hey, we need like sound, uh, like help with the sound system. Uh, can you help us out? So I showed up, and they were not jerks, and they weren't cheesy. If you know, like, and they didn't wear jams. You might remember the jams, like DC Talk version or whatever, like the weird looking things, uh, pajama pants or whatever you would call it now. But anyway, like third day, they just had like, and Mac, the lead singer, like he was probably in college, he was straight out of college when we were on tour with this. And like, I don't think he knew I was not a Christian, but he like, he talked to me like a normal human being. Does that make sense? And I was like, okay, I don't hate this people. Like, and so um, <clears throat> I walked out of there not making fun of them, which is a huge part of that. And then somehow over the next couple of years, God really started to soften my heart towards, towards himself and stuff like that. But it started with like the breakthrough of that concert at Third Day. So it always has like a sweet spot for me. So um, Abby mentioned this before. So we're going to talk about these three people in the next, few, next season of life. Like who are the three people close to you that are far from Jesus that you could be praying for? Now, what we're not going to ask you to do is be weird towards them. We're like walk up to them with a sandwich sign and say, turn to burn or anything like that. Here's what I am going to ask you to do, though. Pray for them that Jesus would show up in a real, genuine way. And the challenge for you and I is how do you and I live a life in such a way? We talked about, the, I put this quote on my um, <clears throat> social media earlier this week from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Can you live a life in such a way that, you, that people would be, dis, like, it would challenge them to disprove God exists because of your faith, because of your example? Do you live, in, do you live a life such a worthy of, like, Maybe God does exist based on your, your witness and stuff like that. And so we're going to throw some challenges out these next few weeks because Jesus like sets that bar pretty high, and we're going to talk, talk that through. And so what does it look like for you and I to live a life in such a way that it would actually challenge people's disbelief in God? And so what we're going to ask you to do over the next few weeks, pray for them that Jesus would show up in real, genuine ways, but then also will you take the risk and talk to them about Jesus? Would you share your story? This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is how I met him. This is what it looked like. And then at some point, eventually, just ask him to consider Jesus. Right? So here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you for that. So if you want to take out your phones, you can text this word prayer to 2024. No spaces in there. To 219-233-2311. It's the same one that you send your guest services. I would love to join with you and pray with you for your people. So you'll get an automatic text message from me. It'll say, who are your three people? I'd love to pray with you. So once again, that number. You ready for this? There you go. There you go. It's there. <coughs> Just add prayer 2024 to that. I'd love to join with you and pray with you. So as you guys are doing that, let me set up these next few weeks for you, okay? Uh, as we get ready for Easter and stuff like that. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the kingdom manifesto that Jesus set out. All right? So Jesus like sets out this kingdom manifesto. It's a, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I told Roland this morning and Heather, like, I feel like I have three sermons in me. And we're going to see where we go with this. So you may be in for like a, maybe in for a short sermon, who knows? But you also may also just be for a long one. But um, I have like a lot of things in my, in my mental brain that I'm working through. Uh, I don't know where else your brain is, but my mental brain. How about that? So, um, but here's the deal. Like Galatians chapter four, Paul writes this out, that the fullness of time, God the Father sends Jesus the Son to the earth. He sent Jesus the Son, who's going to be born and raised as an Israelite, lives his life as an Israelite, and the most challenging and difficult time to be an, Israel, be an Israeli man in Israel. Not the days of David. He doesn't send Jesus to be like the Messiah in the days of Solomon or in any other time. He's going to be sent to Israel at the fullness of time 
at the time of King Herod the Great and Julius Caesar in a Roman militarized zone and then say, hey, follow me, right? And he doesn't, like, there's so many influential things that are going on in just the cultural people of, of the nation of Israel. We're going to work through the different people groups of how they influenced the, the normal, everyday person in Israel's uh, thing. So we have our own Fox News, we have CNN, we have whatever the extreme versions of those are, uh, that influence us, right? Well, these people groups influence the people of Jesus as well. So the first group that you have is a group called the Sadducees. We see these show up in the time of Jesus. We see them in the, especially the Holy Week and stuff like that. The Sadducees ruled the temple. They were the high priest. They were aristocratic people. They owned property. Um, <clears throat> Caiaphas, his family, who was the high priest in Jesus' day, he, ruled, he controls 90% of the sheep in, in Bethlehem area. Which doesn't seem that big of a deal unless how do you sacri offer sacrifices at the temple? Through sheep. And if you brought your lamb to the temple and there was a blemish according to, their, to his people, you could say, well, great, now what do I do? I have to go all the way back home? Or you could buy a pre-approved sheep, a lamb, that Caiaphas somehow pocketed, lined his pockets and stuff like that, right? And so it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it's that big of a deal. Does that make sense? So if you have 90% of the sheep that are in that area, you, you can easily make this like your, like your economic engine. So I don't think that they were great and like awesome, thrilled that Rome was ruling them, but they were like, well, if Rome's going to rule them, let's be comfortable with it. Let's embrace it. What's the point of, of fighting them, right? Now, they still held on to the Torah, the first five books of the old Hebrew scriptures, but what they wouldn't do is they would not embrace the oral tradition, stuff like that. This next group you have is the Herodians, and the Herodians said, forget the Hebrew scriptures. We saw what, following, like, what we looked like we tried to follow God. Just embrace Rome all the way. Just say, screw it, let's just embrace it all, right? So <clears throat> whatever Rome did, the Herodians did, they kind of abandoned their Israeli faith, their Jewish faith, and they just embraced it all the way. And so you'd see them at pagan temples. You'd see them going all the, like, just doing all the Roman things. Does that make sense? Change their accents to change the way. They, like, have you ever watched somebody change the way they dress and the way they talk? Just to look at, like, fit in and stuff like that? Never happens in middle school or high school. So I don't know, like, when I see this happening with my own students, I'm like, you guys are stupid. What are you doing? Right? That's not your laugh and stuff like that. So, so with the Herodians, that's exactly what they did. They just kind of abandoned their Jewish traditions and they just stuck with, like, like embraced the Roman way. All the way down to, like, like who they would have sex with, who they would like have a meal with, and stuff like that. Uh, the other part that they, the other group would be um, would be let's say well the Pharisees the Pharisees embraced the five books of the Bible, the Torah, but they also went after the um, the the oral traditions and the Psalms and the prophets and stuff like that. And they just kind of said, man, we're not going to stay we're not going to stay off into this like aristocratic bureaucratic type thing. We're going to be among the people. So if you think about like the the Sadducees. We're like, let's say, presidents of like universities, stuff like that. And the Pharisees were like, no, let's be among the people, like a local pastor would be. And so they didn't have the wealth, but they had the influence of the people. Does that make sense? And so they, they couldn't just make a, couldn't make a rule, they couldn't make a decision, but they could have the influence of the people. And so there's some speculation that Jesus actually was a Pharisee, which seems like if you read the scriptures, like, man, he's harsh towards the Pharisees. 
but he's also calling them out. Like maybe he had like this, he taught the, he taught the way of, of God and stuff like that to people. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He actually went out to them and started talking to them. This next group of people uh, were the a group of the sad, like the, the priestly people. We call them the Essenes or the Qumran community. And they got so sick and tired of the corruption of the Sadducees, they left Jerusalem and decided to go live in a desert where it rains less than an inch of water a year. And they're like, yep, we're going to hang out here on this mountain near the Dead Sea. Uh, this is where actually we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. They committed their lives to writing down the scriptures and, and preserving the scriptures, but they also became legalistic people. Like, if we think that like just following God himself was, was a harsh way in the Israeli night, night, way, <clears throat> they went like to the 10th degree. They were like, they washed themselves. They, they redirected the water flow, like the rain flow, to be collected in their mountaintop in a desert. They're pretty brilliant people. Um, we would consider maybe like the Amish, like living way out, like not, you could, you, told, you could tell that they were Qumran community people based on when they lived. John the Baptist would be probably a descendant of somebody from the Qumran community. Does he seem like he fits in? Not really, right? Like he's seen as a weird person, right? And then you have this group that we don't necessarily know if they were like a, uh, an official group, uh, but they're a militia of some sort called the Zealots. The Zealots said, man, we're going to resist every way we can. We're going to kill people. We're going to defy people. We're just going to go after them and stuff like that. <clears throat> and so they literally, their names are Zealots because of their, the daggers that they would use was a curved sword, a curved dagger called a Sakari. And in that, we get the, the word Zealot out of this. And so they would literally attack anyone who worked for Rome. You'd walk in a crowd they like to think about like a Jedi Knight, stuff like that, flowing robes, and they'd reach around and stab you in the heart and then walk away, and you never knew who it was. So, here's Jesus, and he's talking amongst this people who's influenced by all these different kinds of people. And he gives what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And this is, the, like his, this is his kingdom manifesto. And it could easily be seen as like, God, did God the Father make a mistake by sending Jesus the Son during this time? Have you ever wondered if God made a mistake sending you to this earth right now where you live in this time frame? I wonder if Jesus was walking around going, Jesus, like God the Father, seriously, like, bless you. Like, this is, the, this is where I get to live? I don't get to live in the days of Solomon, where silver was seen as like the stones, or gold was just common, right? Now I get to walk around and live in this time where uh, majority of the people were oppressed, that the normal average Israelite was taxed 80-85% of their income was taxed. And you gave it to the government. That doesn't seem great, right? And so, just like Jesus, just like you and I, we are made on purpose and for a purpose. The time frame that God sent you to this earth was not a mistake. You may, your parents may have told you that you're a mistake or unplanned. How about that? Like, you weren't expected, Right? But that doesn't mean that you're a mistake. You're made on purpose and for a purpose in this time frame and all of that. And so Jesus goes for 90% of his life. Think about this. He lives 30 years with no, nothing written down about his life, except for a few sentences about what we talked about at Christmas, right? And then the majority of his life goes undocumented. He lives 90% of his life in obscurity. Nothing documented. There's no Instagram. There's no Snapchat, Right? And then at the age of 30, he shows up and he starts like, inviting disciples to come follow him. And he starts healing people. 
What does he do for 30 years? He learns a trade. He learns how to become a, tech, a tecton, is what we call it. It's like a craftsman. He works with stones. He works with a little bit of lumber and some metal. And he gets really good at it. Do you think, like, is there really any point in me learning this job, this trade? 100% there is. Whatever your job is, become the best at it. And just dive into it and embrace it and do it with excellence. Even if it's like just clicking buttons at a mouse as you stare, stare at screens. Get really good at that, right? Do it with some flair. How about that? But like learn how to just dive into it, okay? Add some salt to it, whatever you possess to it and all that. And then the other thing that Jesus does is he dives into Hebrew scriptures. He saturates his life with Hebrew scriptures. What could possibly happen if you follow Jesus and you dive into your trade and you dive into the scriptures? And you don't document anything about it. You just do it. You don't have to take a picture of your morning devotions. Hashtag blessed life. You know what I mean? Like with your cup of coffee. Don't put tea in there because it's not worth it. It's just whatever. It's just You don't need to document and here's Jesus. 90% of his life goes undocumented. And he said he's the most influential person in human history. Our culture has this reversed. We document 90% of our lives and 10% of it is unseen. Why do you need to take a picture every two seconds? Nobody cares. Right? And at the end of the, at the, end of the world, at the end of your life, all you're going to have is weird selfies to prove what you've done with your life at unflattering angles. And they're going to be like, great, all you did was take pictures of yourself? Since 2008, the, the, the levels of narcissistic uh, tendencies has continually climbed year after year after year. And it's not younger generation, it's everyone. And guess what came out in 2008? 2009 frame, smartphone. Resist. Don't give in to it. Figure out the way of following Jesus as ways of obscurity and embrace it. And it's okay if nobody documented you having a great meal. I don't want to see your food, especially if there's vegetables on that plate. Enjoy it, eat it, and go on with life. You don't need to document it. So <clears throat> here's what Jesus does in Matthew chapter three. Or sorry, Matthew chapter five, he gets he gets on this crowd crowd together, and he says the kingdom of heaven is near. We're going to read this part of it. So. The Sermon on the Mount, we're not going to read the whole thing today, but I'm going to read parts of the Beatitudes today. It's the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is laid out, laid out in three different movements. So there's an intro, there's a body, and then there's a conclusion, right? In the body, it is written into three major sections. The Beatitudes is what we're going to talk about. is also in three different sections. It's like threes upon threes upon threes. So the Beatitudes is a group of tr three statements and to three different times. So there's nine total statements we're going to look at. But here's what he says. Jesus gets together in Matthew chapter 5. He says, now, he gets all the crowds, and he went up on this mountainside, and he sat down. Just so you know, nobody really knows where the mountainside was. They didn't leave a plaque saying, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I went to both places. Maybe there's some speculation to where it was, um, but I didn't see a plaque there when I was there. But his disciples came to him, and he started to teach his disciples. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We're going to stop there today. We're going to work through all of this. Because here's this debate that's been going on and on and on for centuries between Christians. The Sermon on the Mount 
Is it meant to actually be lived out? Or is it set as an ideal for you and I to follow once we get to heaven? Escape this evil, evil earth. Well, I think Jesus' own words answered what his expectations were. There are groups of Christians who say there's no way we could actually live up to this standard. So why try? And guess what those group of people, I think they're going to miss out on the kingdom of heaven because here's what kingdom, here's what Jesus says in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and towards the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He bookends his teaching by saying this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. He says, whoever practices and, te- practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. At the very end, here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. If you want to live a life that is tossed around by opinions, by your emotions, don't put these into practice. Pray the prayer, get your little ticket out of hell in your heart, and just live life, but don't actually flourish as a follower of Jesus. These are his words. You'll be literally tossed around and pushed around by shifting sands over and over again. And you won't be called great in his kingdom. Or, start putting these things into practice. And when life storms happen, you're on a solid foundation. Other people's emotions and opinions, you learn how to draw boundaries. And when you have your own emotional storms rise up in you, you're not taken over by your emotions. By the way, Jesus does not say these in a time where there's medicines that you can take to numb the feelings. He does not say it in a time of peace. What he's about to say, these words is in a time where if you, if you went against the Roman Empire, the Roman army, and stuff like that, you were reminded not to mess with them by hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of crucifixions. Every time you walked into a village or a town or a city, you were like walking into lines and lines after crucifixion after crucifixion. Jesus was about six years old when there's about hundreds of, uh, sorry, thousands of people in the northern part of the country crucified on one day. He knows what this looks like. And he invites his followers to live this way. He also said it before a smartphone where you could distract yourself and get really good at Candy Crush but really bad at following Jesus. Or how, what Heather calls now doom scrolling where you just get bored and you're like, I'm just going to keep looking at people because their lives are more interesting than mine. Jesus says it's in a time where we could actually start learning from some of his things. All right? So, <clears throat> this week, we're going to look into the first triad statement of the Beatitudes. And the idea that we get into this word blessed life, like, I don't know about you, but every time I read the word blessed in these statements, it seems like it doesn't make sense. So I have to nerd out a little bit on this part to make sense of the rest of this, okay? So if you don't like nerding this, I'm sorry, but for me to actually kind of explain this, I came home and told Heather, and she was like, I don't I was like, but I have to actually, she was like, she smiled and nodded at me, but I was like, no, this is really important. And she was like, great, okay. So hopefully, just smile and nod at me if you like, don't enjoy this. But, but the word blessed, so Jesus speaks in Hebrew, Matthew writes this down in Greek. The reason that Matthew writes this down in Greek is because of the common day language. He does not write it down in the official language, which is Latin, only elite people would have known. He also doesn't write it down in Hebrew. Because as the message is supposed to go, it's supposed to go into the entire ends of the earth. Only the Hebrew people spoke Hebrew. 
but their entire Roman Empire spoke Greek, or read Greek. He's, he wants this to be known across the whole place. So Matthew translates certain things. So Jesus is going to speak in, in Hebrew, but then he's going to, Matthew's going to write it down in Greek. Okay? So the word that he uses to understand blessed is not the idea that we normally think about. When you think about blessed, what people in the Hebrew Scriptures do you think about? Abraham, David, Solomon. They're wealthy. They have possessions. Like God blesses them, right? That word that gets used from the Hebrew Scriptures is this word Baruch, and Baruch means that God has literally given all of his favor to you. You're living in the abundance of his favor. So you, if you had wealth and Job, like Job gets a double portion of Baruch in the Hebrew Scriptures, right? And that gets translated into Greek as a different word than what Jesus says in Matthew. Jesus does not say the word Baruch in the Sermon on the Mount. He uses this word ashway, which is this idea of you recognize somebody's been blessed. It's an understanding of like, oh, they are living in the good life. Not that they will get the good life, they are in the good life. Does that make sense? So this pattern that Jesus is going to say is ashway, this group of people, and then they're going to receive another blessing from God. It's this idea that they are, they are already living the good life, right? So last week we prayed for a blessing of Anna and Russell. We played a Baruch on them. Like God can, God's the only one who can control if he gets to live in that favor of him and the abundance of his favor. We prayed for that for Anna and Russell last week that during this pregnancy and the delivery and all this that they would be blessed in this time frame, right? And eventually we're going to look back and be like, oh, they are swayed. They lived in this. Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying that these group of people are living in the good life. Notice what he says here, though. Maybe if I can find my place. Here we go. Blessed, ashway, are the poor in spirit. Nobody wants to be poor in spirit, right? They're like, oh, yes. I can barely live in my life. I'm the blessed life, right? But this is what Jesus says. The people who are blessed, the people who have already gotten the good life, the blessed life, are the people who are poor in spirit. Poor meaning that you lack something. You don't have something on this. And so, um, you're unimportant. You lack. You're without. And what Jesus says, if you feel like you're lacking something, if you're going without, if you seem to be overlooked by others, you're living the good life. Not that you will receive, but you are living the good life. And this idea of spirit, in the Hebrew, we, this word of ruach, in the Greek, it's pneuma. And it's this power, this, this thing that animates your life. Almost like the wind. If you watch the, the wind blow through the, the trees, no one's making that happen. Like the trees aren't trying to do this, they're just getting pushed around by the wind, right? This is the idea of, pneuma, of the pneuma or the spirit. It's doing this. It's a kind of energizing your life. And what Jesus is saying here is, blessed are those of you feel like your life is being squeezed by the stress of this life. Anyone feel like that? You don't have to raise your hand. You just kind of look around awkwardly at each other. But if you feel like this life is squeezing the energy and the life out of you, you're blessed. Because here's why. Normally in order to receive a blessing, we have to kind of offer something up. If you're poor in spirit, you have nothing to offer up because you have nothing to hold on to. 
All you have to do is receive. Receive the blessing from God. You're close to God. You're not relying on this earth. You're not relying on your, pay, your bank account. You're not relying on anything else. You're there. You're in the midst of this, and all you have to do is receive it. You don't have to try to give up something. Normally, wealthy people have to give up something in order to receive a blessing from God because it's whatever they have extra. And by the way, if you're wealthy, that means you have to choose from like one or two options of clothing today. Anyone decide what shoes you're going to wear and it took you a few minutes to figure that out? If you have more than one pair of clothing, one pair of shoes, you're pretty wealthy. If you lived off a dollar or $1.90 per day or more, you're wealthy. There's a huge amount of this population in this world who don't have these options. So if you feel like you're overlooked and you feel like this life is squeezing everything out of you, you're right where God wants you. Just embrace it and receive the blessing that God has for you because he wants to be there. He wants to help you out with this. Another way of translating this, uh, one of the classes I've been taking, says the good life belongs to these kind of people. The good life is there for these kind of people who, who are like this. <clears throat> now, we wouldn't wish this on anyone, right? Especially ourselves. But this is what Jesus is saying this. Now, the people who, who are following Jesus who are at these crowds uh, that Jesus is talking to in the original time, and by the way, this wasn't a one-time sermon. Jesus would have given this sermon multiple times. At this point, they're not like kings and queens. They're the farmers, the construction workers. They're the sex workers. They're people working the docks. They're not politicians. They're not people of authority. And they're, they're listening going, oh, yeah. The Roman authorities who continually squeeze, like make decisions and increase the taxes to increase the, the funding of the military and stuff like that, yep, it squeezes everything out of me, right? Herod wants to build this mountain in the, in the middle of a desert where there's no mountain, and then he's going to do that based on my taxes. Great, that's awesome, right? He wants to make a pool on the mountaintop that's already existing there so that he can swim and have fresh water. Great, yeah. I guess I have to do that too. I have to pay for that too. Ever feel squeezed by the political decisions around you that you don't agree with? Now, here's, the, here's one of the harshest realities. In every, in every four years, we just get to vote somebody else in, right? Your local office, stuff like that. The Israelites had no option of voting. So like, this is part of this process. We have to kind of figure this out of how do we actually follow God and do this. Here's statement number two. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning is associated with grief. Grief and loss are all part of life, not part of God's original plan. In Genesis chapter 3, humans sin and enter in all this consequences of sin. Death and loss were not part of God's original plan. One of the harsh realities when we talk about with people when we do counseling and stuff like that is like the pain that you feel, the anguish that you feel is not God's original design. So while they, like, he, we inherited all this, we, sometimes we make decisions that make us feel like loss and grief and stuff like that. It's not part of God's original design, so don't blame God for something we created. Does that make sense? And, but here's the deal. Jesus never says that we're safe from these things. He, he says that we'll be safe in these things. Time and time again, you see this in Psalm 23. You see this over and over again in, this, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus says, I will be with you always, even in the midst of your pain and your suffering. 
He's not like, you guys screwed this up, now deal with it on your own, is he? That's not the kind of God we, we, we worship. And so part of, part of life is grief and loss. Uh, and then these two words get linked together, of comfort and of grief. They're always connected so that we can see that God wants to be with us at all times. Now, <clears throat> I, I, the socioeconomic status of people kind of helps them deal with grief more. And here's what, if you're wealthy, you have options to distract yourself by. Here's what I mean. When you go through grief and loss, it's easy just to pick up a phone and distract yourself with and get to level 700 of Candy Crush while you're ignoring all the pain and the grief and the loss that you're dealing with, right? Or you look at, you know, this YouTube video, how to get better biceps or whatever. You know what I mean? We constantly are looking at things. Or if you're really wealthy, all you have to do is book a trip. Or you go to Amazon and you buy things you don't necessarily need. And you're like, who bought all these stupid things? You did, in your grief, in your loss. And while you numbed yourself and you distracted yourself, you were never comforted by the Father. You got comforted by Amazon or Candy Crush or Call of Duty or NFL or sports, fill in the blank, right? And what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here is like, if you are mourning, if you're grieving, God is there with you. And be comforted by that. Learn how to process your grief. Learn how to process your loss. Learn how to name it. Some of us don't even want to name it because we're like, ooh, I have to bring up emotions. It's part of this process. That's part of the deal, right? It brings me back to this jar right here, right? Is this jar half empty or half full? Both, actually, isn't it? Right? The beautiful thing of following Jesus is we have certain things. So be grateful for what you have. Have gratitude what he's blessed you with. But at the same time, embrace what you've lost and what you're missing. Embrace it and name it. Lament it. Process it. It's not just about like smiling and like continually going on with life. No. That idea of just like numbing yourself and not, not embracing the mourning of the loss, man, there's nowhere in scriptures about that. Now, do we need to move on at times? Yeah. Some things have to get done over and over again, right? But that doesn't mean we don't just simply process it as well. And in your processing and in your mourning and in your grief and in your loss, Jesus is there with you. This is part of the Lenten season. Some of us follow Lent, some of us don't. The idea of Lenten season is, man, we're embracing what God has come for, what he's advancing for. His whole kingdom is about getting us good earth back, not just simply getting us out of hell. Does that make sense? He wants us to live the best life possible. And because humans embrace, like, unleash the, the consequences of sin and death, what Jesus is doing is saying, okay, I'm not going to wait for you to get good enough. Let me come in there and mourn with you. One of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture is that Jesus wept. Jesus wept in the midst of even knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he did it. Like, he wept, he felt it, he mourned it, he grieved it, but then he raised Lazarus from the dead only to die later on in his life again. Right? If you're Lazarus, will you be like, seriously, God, I'm going to go through this again? Thanks a lot. Right? I guess, whatever, you know? He didn't raise him for his own glory. He raised him for God's glory and stuff like that. But, but part of this, like, when we go through what God has orchestrated for us and ordained for us, I mean, it doesn't feel great sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with naming your loss. There's nothing wrong with saying, Jesus, could you not just simply do this? 
can you just bless me like this? Like, I'll take $4 million in my bank account any day, right? Like, but sometimes you just have to name those things and continually go after after it and stuff like that. So in that season, learn how to do it. Now, if you're, if you're talking, if you're re- recognizing that your life does not have loss and grief in it, maybe you should check your perspective. How close are you following Jesus? Because if you're not, if you're not following Jesus to the point where you've lost something, then you're living pretty comfortable. You're not following to the fullest extent. Because Jesus, when he leads you, he's going to lead you in a way that pushes the agenda. He's going to lead you in a way that's countercultural. That you're going to walk away from something comfortable. They're, it's always part of the process, right? Now, if you're if you're living in, in a life, the season of life is pretty good, and start recognizing people around you who are grieving and, and have lost certain things, and understand that it's okay. Because here's the deal: as a pastor for 20 plus years, I've recognized that everybody is either in a season of grief, going into a season of grief, or coming out of a season of grief. So you can't just say, "Hey, smile and nod and be okay," and go from there. Like, embrace it, talk with them, learn learn what happened in their life. This is the beautiful thing about community and just getting to know each other, right? And and when people are sharing with that, don't get distracted and be like, oh, I got a phone call. When you didn't get a phone call, don't lie. We've all done it before, but like, you don't have to act like you got a phone call because you felt uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable with them. Don't say the stupid thing to be like, oh, it'll be okay, and all this. Like, just learn how to be quiet and to sit and embrace the awkwardness. And allow that, allow the Holy Spirit to be in that presence with you, with them as well. Here's the last one, okay? It says that blessed are the meek or the afflicted. In the Hebrew word, it's ani, uh, A-N-I. In the Hebrew word, it's this idea that somebody is so unimportant that somebody who has more power can take whatever they want from them and nobody even notices. For example, when King David took Bathsheba from Uriah. Nathaniel, Nathan the prophet comes and says, this, this person was, had one sheep, one beautiful lamb, while somebody else had multiple sheep, it just, you know, whatever. But he, the, uh, me, the unimportant person, had that one sheep taken from him. And the king, the wealthier neighbor, thought that everybody, nobody else would know this, right? The idea that is, like, you, have, you had something taken from you that you think nobody even noticed. And who is Jesus talking to? unimportant people who are literally, some of them are working the, their own ancestral land who the wealthier Roman people throughout the Roman Empire have taken from them. They're working their own land and they don't even get to reap the benefits of their own profits of their land, produce-wise. They have to pay this landlord thousands upon thousands of dollars. And then they have to pay Herod's taxes and they have to pay Roman taxes. And they feel like no one sees it. Some of us know what it's like to have injustices done to us. And while it may feel like you don't, like there's, there's no one to see it or no one to advocate for you, Jesus is saying, I see it. I see every injustice done. And not only will they pay for, you, for that injustice, but I want to be with you in the moments of feeling of unimportant, of meek, of not being able to do it. Because you go through life for more than 10 seconds, and there's a good chance you're going to in, in, encounter injustice of some sort. Right? And what Jesus is saying is, blessed are you who are going through this. 
There's not a lack of accountability. Jesus will see it, and he holds everyone accountable for every injustice around. That's the beautiful thing about God. We don't like to talk about his judgment and his wrath, but it's there. If he didn't have judgment and wrath, how just of a God would he be? Even your injustice, even your uh, acts of, of stuff like that. And so what God is saying here, Jesus is saying here, is, is I want to be able to make sure that you know I'm with you, even in these moments of injustice and stuff like that. Next, we're going to show a video uh, from Destiny Rescue and how we as a church have partnered with them for uh, three years now, and, and we got to partner and help partner with them to raise funds for seven um, rescues this year of children. And they, yes, absolutely. I can't wait to see the video. But here's, here's the beautiful thing about it is in the moments that they share the stories, it seems like this is the darkest time for these, ki- these kids. And they don't feel like anyone over, like that sees them. And yet somehow here comes a, here comes a path of, of justice and rescue and redemption for them. And while you may sit here and you're just saying, like, God, does God see anything that's done? He does. And he wants to be with you and comfort you in these times, not to just simply have you go through the motions and numb yourself, but to actually embrace this. And, this, and to feel, if you feel the moment of the life is squeezing you out, and you're poor in spirit, and you have nothing left to give, God is with you. If you're in the moments of mourning and loss, and you're naming everything you've lost this season, God is with you. If you feel unimportant and just overseen and, and all that, God is with you. Not only is God with you, but you've been blessed by him. All you have to do is embrace it and receive it. As we get ready to go into Easter and Holy Week, I just want you to walk through this and just let this, like I would encourage you, read the Beatitudes. Uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. And you'll just like commit that to just continually reading that this week and see where God shows up in your life. Because you are blessed. And God is with you. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for everything you've done for us. God, thanks that you did not invite only the royal and the important and all of that. But God, you invited every single one of us. How unimportant we are, how important we are, how poor we are, how, no matter how wealthy we are. And you tell us that we are blessed. if we feel unimportant, our life is squeezing out of us, if we've lost and we're mourning, or if we feel like injustice is continually done to us. God, your original audience is, is just amazingly aware of how unjust this world could be, how cruel this world could be. But we're also aware of it in 2024. We've seen injustice. We've seen the cruelty of life. We continually see the, the, the consequences of loss and death. And yet you tell us that you're with us. That we've received the good life in these moments. God, help us to turn our perspectives to you in this season. And God, for the people who are far from us, or sorry, far from you, but close to us, God, would they be able to look at our lives as we live this out, as we follow you, would you be able to work in our witness in our lives and say, man, there's something about this person. I want to know what it is. Would you start showing up in real and genuine ways for those people? 
and maybe they find redemption and restoration and hope and grace and love and forgiveness. We love you, Jesus. Continue to pray this. Amen. Well, if you need prayer for anything, I'd love to meet with you back in the, by the green wall. If you're new with us today, I'd love to connect with you at guest services. Somebody will be out there to offer you a gift and just get to know you and stuff like that. And I hope we know this to be true, that God loves you, and I love you, and as we follow him, we'll count to the best he has to offer for us. So let's go. Be in the church. Have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday.